phenomenal. I feel like I remember when he was first planting the church and I'm, I was like, man, this is going to be great. And it's to see the fruit of where the church is and where it's going. It's been tremendous. So I'm rooting for you guys in prayer personally. And, and you guys have a real awesome, awesome, awesome model, pastor and wife. and Beautiful, beautiful bride. Well, I like to I like to pray before I jump right into the word. Are you guys cool with that? So I just like to personally pray. And Lord, so I thank you for this ability to share with people you love deeply. And I ask for your grace to communicate in such a way that it makes the gospel true and transformational. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember having a conversation with my father. And I was in this conversation with my dad. I remember just unpacking how I was struggling with anxiety in my walk and just fear and all types of stuff, man. I was really jammed up. And, and, I, and I was looking to him and he asked my, my father, I'm half African-American, half Puerto Rican. And so my black side's not from up north. We got like, I got like the country black side, like the like fried chicken, baked mac and cheese, grits from like somebody's grandma named Agnes, that black side. And so they're from North Carolina. And he said, he said something to me that I never forgot. It might, you might've heard it before. It, it might've just been something, but you ever got a word in season, something you knew, but it was right on time. And I was complaining about just, man, I'm going through a tough time. And he said, Lion, he said, son, I wanna I want tell you something, son. He said, you see, everybody's fighting a fight, but not everybody's fighting a good fight. Just make sure you fight a good one. If I could take that same concept, I would say everybody's running a race. Not everybody's running a good race. That's the title of my talk today. Run a good race. I say run a good race because if you've journeyed with the Lord for any amount of time, I've been walking with the Lord maybe 17, 18 years now. And if you journey with the Lord any amount of time, you learn very quickly, very quickly, that the Christian walk is far from a sprint. It's a marathon. It's 26.2 times 26.2 times 26.2 miles. It's, it's this, this walk, this sense that I want to go and I don't want to be esoteric about what it means to run a good race. I want to put up a clear definition of, of what it means to run a good race. It's right there. To run a good race is to faithfully walk in alignment with the revealed will of God. To run a good race is to faithfully walk in alignment with the revealed will of God. I say the revealed will because we have 66 books that he's revealed to us. And we're going to want to walk in alignment. You see, my goal is to be able to say this, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Who wants to hear that? That I didn't just fight kind of, I fought a good one. I didn't just run this race kind of, I, I ran a good one. It's not perfection. It's simply I didn't give up. And to do that, I, I want to unpack the nutrients from two verses. I'm only going to take two verses. I'm going to look closely at them and say, what nutrients can we get? What can we glean from these two verses to add to the artillery of our lives to make sure we're running this good race? And it's this verse, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, 
Therefore, it's right on the screen if you want to see it. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me stop there. Those couple verses are so pregnant with information and so pregnant with truth. And if we glance over it, we may miss it. But again, what it means to run a good race, if I like to sometimes title things, not just so it can be catchy, but so you can remember it and you can draw on it. And if I can bring out one point, if I can say, what will help me run a good race? And I can put it like this. I would say this, learn from the faithful. I would say learn from the faithful. And I'm saying that based upon this text, Hebrews 12.1 says it right there. I highlighted and read for you. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, when it comes to the author of Hebrews, there are individuals who fall on multiple categories on who authored this text. Some say it was Apollos. He's more of a historian. Some say it was the Apostle Paul. Some say they're not sure. But we do know this. When it came to this text, regardless of what you, who wrote it, they do know that they're drawing on something, the games that will be played where they would come watch individuals run a, a race and the author author saying there's a great crowd of witnesses that's around us. There's a cloud of witnesses. So let's make sure we're running a, we're a good race. And now when you think of witnesses, though, what does that mean? Many times when I hear it taught and it may be right, I'm not sure. It may be right. When I hear it taught, it's like we have this great cloud in heavens of those who've gone before us, Moses and this person up there. They're watching us run our race. Let's run a good race. That may be true. Here's my thinking, though. I'm not sure, but if I were, Mo if I were Moses and Abraham, I'm caught up with the Lord right now, I'm not sure I'm paying much attention to you guys. To be honest with you, I'm going to be caught up in glory. Y'all cool? Y'all ain't that cool. So then this leaves me the question, what does it mean then? One theologian put it like this. He said, or a scholar said, witness probably means in this text, I'm going to just read it straight from what he said. The act of seeing something, is it that? Or is it the act of telling something? I think it's the act of telling. The verb form of this word witness, materio, is used five times in Hebrews 11. He said, and always refers to the giving of a confirming testimony rather than mere watching an event. Now, this I think is contextually accurate. Why? Because whenever there's a good, here's a good exegetical little tool you can use. Whenever you see therefore, make sure you always know what it's there for. Therefore, is connecting something that happened before. And I think this is exegetically accurate. Why? Because in Hebrews 11, some call it the hall of faith, where they're listing these great deeds and acts of faith men and women in the Old Testament have done. And it even says, then there were the others. And so they're listing these great people. And in essence, what I think the author is saying, in light of the witness of their testimony that's come before us, let us run a good race and let us learn from the testimonies of those that came before us. 
Not so much that they're watching us like, oh, don't mess up. Oh, no, do good. Oh, that's a bad decision. Oh, that's a good decision. But, for, uh, but needless to say, it's more or less saying, no, 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 no. They walked out something before you learned from them. And now if you look at Hebrews 11, it brings out some characters and you're like, whoa, learn from them. They had some glaring issues. You know, I love the honesty of scripture. It doesn't skip over. Like if I'm writing a holy text, if it was up to me, not inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'll skip over all my dirt. My highlight reel will be real though. I'll be sitting there like, it'll be like my Instagram, just flawless. Just, you know, every filter you want, whatever you, I'm telling you. They don't do that. It brings up Abraham. We all know he fell into adultery. I mean, his wife was like, yo, I can't give birth. Why don't you sleep with the maid? She'll give you. He was like, I'll suffer for Jesus. I'll do that. Just, gotta, just go, go half on a baby. And he does it wasn't ordained by God, but he was an adulterer. Then Jacob, if you know anything about Jacob, that brother's a deceiver. And then you got Samson. He did it all for the ladies. He bought for the ladies. He had a thing for prostitutes. You got Rahab, who was actually a prostitute. But they're all named in the hall of faith. Why? Why? Because here I think is what's glaring about this text and the beautiful thing that pastor said it earlier in the prayer that stands true. What their testimonies tell us is that their faithfulness is great, but the faithfulness of God is greater. What he did in them is the beautiful thing that God elevates from the text to say he's no respecter of person. I don't care how grimy, how, how messed up your past is, how off you are, the faithfulness of God is much greater than the faithfulness you'll ever have towards him. So I say, learn from the faithful. Learn from them. Learn from those in the text. Read the scripture. Get a hold of it. Midweek Bible studies, great. Sunday services are great. That cannot be the totality of your exposure to the word of God, though. So glean from it. Sit under it. Even if you don't fully understand it at the time, just ingest it. And when we sit under it and we learn, and we say, Lord, even the people you utilized as examples in Hebrews 11. Even them. They didn't give up even though they blew it. They got back up and they kept going. By the power of your spirit. Learn from them. Persistence. Resilience. This sense I got to get back up again. Everybody's running a race. Not everybody's running a good. We've been polarized by the death of Kobe Bryant. I cried. That's like the first celebrity I cried for. Maybe because I just had a daughter recently, but to lose like the daughter, the image of the daughter and the whole thing. And I'm sitting there, I'm snotty nose and everything. I was done preaching. They told me as soon as I was, I preached three services as well. And, my, and as soon as I was done, they didn't even, I think I just did the benediction, Lord bless you. And I walked out, somebody tapped me on the shoulder, yo, Kobe Bryant died. I was like, what? 
we've been polarized by it. But there's something he said. And everybody heard, most people heard about what Jordan's commentary at the funeral service, and all, I mean the memorial service this week. But look what he said about learning from those that came before him. He said, I was growing up in Italy and I studied every player at the time. He said, once I realized I wasn't going to be 6'9", I started to study Michael Jordan. He said, as I studied Michael Jordan and I went into the league matching up against him, I found that he was open to having a mentorship relation, a mentorship relationship and giving me a great amount of advice with the amount of details and strategy and workout regimen. He said, seriously, I don't think people knew the impact Michael Jordan had on me. If this athlete that wants to rock out at the best, most tip-top shape, and now he's slipped into eternity. But if that was his heart, how much more when we're fighting for a crown that's much bigger? He postured himself. Get mentors in your life. Learn from those in Scripture. I was going through Facebook just today, Dr. Eric Mason. I know it was like a, 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 a father to the house and a father to Brandon. He said this. He said, I just got off the phone with one of my mentors. And I'm like, man, how do people do without sage counsel? He put me ahead by a decade or two in 30 minutes. That's what he said. That was today, fresh off the press. He knew I was going to preach this message. I said, I needed that. Come on, screen grab. He just said that today. But are you, getting, are you getting what I'm saying, though? Learn from those that came before you. You cannot do this by yourself. This is not the belief system. Christianity was never meant to be this effective by yourself. Do it, flow for yourself kind of Christian or religious experience. This is a community endeavor. And we need one another. And you need those who've gone before you. Learn from the faithful. If I could take it a step further, I wouldn't just say that. I would say, lighten your stride. Lighten your stride. What do I mean by that? I'm only going right through the text. Hebrews 12, 1 went on. It goes on to say right after that part, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I say, lighten your stride. You know, in the original, uh, the times when this was written, when they would go and compete in games, there were two ways runners would run. They would either take the garments that they had, lift them up very high. Some scholars say as high as almost to their waist, lifting them up that high. And they would hold it and run so that there was nothing blocking them while they were competing in the games. They were free to run. There was a second way they ran, though. It was free, free. <laughs> they, they, we laugh, but that's how they were going. They would run in the nude. And they would run so nothing could hinder them. Now, I'm, this is not, I am not saying after Bible study today, go streaking down in Brooklyn, because that's between you, the Lord, and the police station. Don't bring up the pastor said, don't excommunicate me from the church next time. Yo, what in the world is he teaching? I'm just saying that's what they did. Why am I sharing that with you? Because they did everything they could to lighten their stride. Everything. 
to say, I don't want anything stopping me from running a good race. I don't want anything hindering me from running a good race. And when I, I've taught this text, and when you spend time with it, though, I, I want you to see how it, how, it, how it juxtaposes two topics. Really quick, anytime I read this passage, I would go really quick and go, oh, I got to throw off anything, any sin that so easily entangles. Right? That's true. But look what it says first. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Then it stops. And then it says, and, which means it separates it from the sin that so easily entangles. What does that tell me? I'm going to deal with the second part, but what does that tell me? There's sometimes things hindering you that's not necessarily sin related, but they're just hindering you from the, ra the race that you're supposed to run. We, we skipped that part. I don't want to skip it today. Not today. You know, when I was... Uh, one of the things I did, I got, I did, a, I went to Nyack Alliance Theological Seminary, and I was an adjunct professor there for the graduate for the seminary program. And I remember I, my office was in Rockaway, New Jersey, and I would have to take the train from downtown Newark, where I'm born and raised out in Newark. Shout out to Newark, Brick City, what? what, what yeah. So, <laughs> and so I would take the train, and what I would do, get this, I would bring my book bag. And I would have to, from that morning, I'm get there, and then all day, I was gone. I wouldn't get home until about 11 o'clock at night to teach this class. But I was in Rockaway, and so I would pack up my book bag, but then when I parked at the train station in the afternoon to get ready to come into the city in Manhattan, I would look at my book bag, and I would remove certain things that were good for earlier in the day, but weren't good for the evening part of my journey. So I just removed my laptop. I didn't need the bulky laptop. That was for the day. All I needed was the iPad. I had my notes to teach the class there. I removed certain items and folders that I didn't need earlier in the day, but I needed graded student papers, so I would put that in there. I would remove certain things and add certain things. And the only reason why I was removing certain things, not because they were bad, but there was a shift in my destination. And so some of you need to understand, when God is taking you on a journey, you may be walking with him, but at times, there's a shift in your destination and you need to remove everything that hinders everything now if I was having a pastoral moment with you and we were sitting in a room and you would say help me identify because that's the truth sometimes we can't identify fully if something's hindering me well I thought you would ask good question so I made a little chart. it's not exhaustive but I made a little chart that might say some, some pastoral wisdom that I think I've learned along the way and the stuff that I've had to utilize to ask me questions to know when it's time to shift and it's signs it's time to give up a good thing. Let me just give you a couple. This is the everything that hinders part, okay? We'll deal with the second part. I know you guys love talking about sin, but let's deal with this real quick. Everything that hinders. Signs it might be time to give up a good thing, but it's not a God thing. It's amoral, doesn't have a morality connected to it, but it might be time. Here's one, a loss of passion. You no longer delight in what you do. There's no fuel in you to get it done. I'm not talking about you going through a season. We go through seasons where you're not loving what you do. That's everybody. I'm talking about an extended time that your passion is, is just gone for this thing. It might be time to give it up. So just because it comes easy to you doesn't mean it's for you still. Just because you did it all your life doesn't mean it's for you anymore. 
There's a loss of passion. It's no longer there. Your creative juices don't flow there anymore. And it's time to give it. You've been doing it because maybe it's been part of your identity. Maybe people see you and they know right away. I remember it was like that from a boy with drumming. He was a phenomenal drummer. Phenomenal drummer. He lost his passion. I'm not talking about, you know how somebody thought he was good? And they're not that good? Now he thought he was good. He was that good. Beyonce thought he was that good. She hired him for a gig on MTV Unplugged. My buddy was good, but he lost his passion. It was no longer there. And everybody identified him with that gift. He said, but I'm done. Never went back to drumming again. Lost his passion. It might be time to give up that good thing so you could chase that God thing. Continued frustration. There's a constant state of being frustrated and you don't have an inner resolve about the activity anymore. There, there, there's a, a lack of peace. Here's where I've seen this identified in my frail life when I was dating somebody. And the resume was polished. And I'm like, yo, you, you, I mean, she was like, if I had like a Christian mingle site, I'd have made her page. It was like, she was my type. She was my flow. It was like, man, this is great. I'm happily married. Don't worry. I'm not missing out on anything. But it, it was great. She had this like Christian resume that was nuts. She was like, y'all like went, went to like a Christian boarding school since she was 11. She was like, she went to like Ivy League college. She was smart. She had, was like, you know, from some like she's Ethiopia, Ethiopia and Africa. She had this like exotic vibe to her with these curly hair and hazel eyes. I'm telling you, I was like, bruh, we out here. And so... We're dating, and everybody else is like, yo, this is dope, but I had no peace. We weren't even, it wasn't, oh, he compromised it. No, we weren't. It wasn't that. It was just that the Lord was telling me this ain't it. For whatever reason, continue frustration. Some of you are dragging relationships you don't need to be in. I was wondering how to apply it to your life. I just helped you. Some of you, look, you ain't got to apply it. No, I'm telling you, you ain't got to guess. I'm helping you. If you feel like I got to put Jesus on pause to come and, and deal with that relationship, it's not from the Lord. Y'all, let me help you. You could be two Christians and it's not from the Lord. Timing could be shot out, all types of stuff. When, when it's just marked by no peace, that might be it for you. Se fue. No más. Que lo que, ya tú sabes. Dímelo, loco. My wife's Dominican. Some people think she's like high yellow African-American, but she's Dominican. And they be, they'll talk Spanish in front of her. She got the, dímelo, loco. Que lo que, pana, ya tú sabes. So I'm half Puerto Rican. My Puerto Rican sound like, yeah, you picking up that Dominican stuff. That's, that's not of the Lord, papa. So. Signs it's time to give up a good thing. Are you guys with me? Yeah. I, know, I know you're falling asleep, but wake up. Now look, you're neglecting key relationships. You know it's time to give up a good thing. It's taking you from key relationships. Don't tell me that job came from the Lord and you can't come to church no more. See that? I mean, I'll give you free application points. Y'all ain't even have to ask. I know I was going to ask that question, but I just gave it to you. You neglect key relationships. One of the best pieces of advice, I'll never forget. 
there was a dude in ministry. I was traveling at the time. I used to do spoken word and hip hop. And I, was, I got called out to Boston to do this youth conference. They had a theologian there that was brilliant, brilliant, taught all over the country at many different seminaries. And I said, if I could ask you one question, what's one regret you have in ministry? And most people, he could have he gave like the fake answer, like a real polished answer. I regret that I didn't submit earlier in my life to Jesus. He said, one regret is I often made decisions about how things affected my life and my call, and I neglected to think about my wife and my family. He said, I used to be an elder at a church in the Midwest, and my kids loved the youth ministry there. And because I got an opportunity to teach at another university, I uprooted them. He said, if I can go back, I would have never uprooted them because to this day, they're still not serving the Lord. He said, I would have kept them. I appreciated his transparency, but what he was telling me was, I gave up. It was, I need to give up a good thing. I know it if I'm neglecting these relationships. If you can't spend time with your spouse, you probably need to give it up. If you can't spend time with your kids, you probably need to give it up. You're neglecting key relationships. Signs it's time to give up a good thing. You're experiencing burnout. Let me help you understand. God's giving you the grace to complete each task he's called us to do. Sometimes we take on a task that's not in his will and we don't have rejuvenating grace for it. He's gracious. I have a very big extensive view on the grace of God. I'm not limiting it. I'm simply saying any of us can experience burnout. Just do ministry. Try ministry for just two weeks. <laughs> we could all experience burnout. What I'm saying though is there's something things we've made long-term commitments to there's certain people I won't counsel anymore because they have no desire to change. I'm not about to burn myself out. I'm just giving. That's how I do it. Now, you might think that's me. All right. <laughs> but me and my wife, good. She love the fact that I gave that up. You understand? You're burnt out. You're taking on stuff, especially with Christians. Family members are burn you out quick. You're a Christian. You're supposed to. I'm supposed to what? Anybody ever pulled a Christian card on you as a family member? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know. Jesus flipped tables too. Don't get me popping. I got it popping up in here. You experience some burnout. Lastly, there's a lack of focus. Notice it says, persevere in the race marked out for you. This is not Pookie's race. This is not Bobo's race. This is not Hasim's race. This is not Cooper's race. It's not Stacy's race. This is not Joel's race. This is your race. And so sometimes we're lack of focus. Why, why, why? Why am I fo lacking focus sometimes? Because very often, here's a trap we fall into. We fall into the trap of comparison. We start looking to our left and our right. All of us, we fall into this trap. And if we're not careful, comparison is never good. There's no such thing as healthy comparison. No, no, no. Not when it comes to walking out your race. No, I'm not talking about learning from. That's not 
It's walking out your race. Comparison is not healthy. Why? Because if you're a little ahead of them, you might get prideful that you are. But if they're a little ahead of you, you might get discouraged. So what do you do? In the words of the great philosopher DMX, do you. Now, don't look at anyone else's race. Look at what God is doing in you. Be faithful at what God revealed to you. Be faithful on what you already know what to do. Stop looking at everybody else. Because very often, we're missing out on God's gifts and graciousness. And we're sitting there mad and disrupted because somebody else got what we wanted for mad long. You've been saved three decades more than them. And they got it day one in the Christian world. And he was like, what? It's like when I used to teach elementary school before full-time ministry. When they used to get in trouble, kids kick the chair. Like, That's why I hate this school. <laughs> Some of us do that with the Lord. We do that with the Lord. We kick the chairs in our lives. That's stupid school. I hate this stupid school. Nobody like Epiphany Brooklyn anyway. This dumb church, man. Stupid church. Can't stand this church. You know what I mean? You can start getting mad. Why the, why the, why the carpet gray? Don't I like gray anyway? Don't get mad. Don't lose focus. Because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. It might be time to give up a good thing seemingly the good thing to embrace the God thing and then we can move to that second part the sin that so easily entangles that's more forthright sinful habits you know sin never wants to stay where it is in our lives sin always desires to graduate if it starts off as a kindergartner in your life it wants a full-blown PhD and so it's, it's not trying to just chill with you. It's not trying to like, yo, let's just chop it up for a little. There's no such thing as like, I have a pretty good control on my sinful habits. There's, there's no such thing. You know, it, it creeps up and one day you recognize I'm engulfed by this thing. And, 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 and it could happen to any one of us. There's, this is this sin has no respect of, of, of positions in the church, no respecter of human beings. It's equal opportunity killer. So sin wants to entangle us. But I thank the Lord on what he did on the cross through his blood that we can confess our sin and we can confront our sin freely before a holy God. And I'm thankful for that. Because we don't got to stay there. We can walk out through the power of the Holy Spirit and what he's done on the cross. I think of Houdini. Who's ever heard of Houdini? He was like the escape artist years ago. And what legend tells it that Houdini used to go around and he would go on these tours of his escape artistness, so to speak. He would go around and say, hey, wherever I land, you can put me in the county jail there and I guarantee you I can get out of any prison. And so one of the personal things he would always do on his tours is he would go into any prison. When he would land in the city, he would go, hey, bring me to the prison there first. 
first. And then everybody would come and watch him escape from the cell. And so he would get out that cell and walk free. Well, one time they put him in a cell. He did his normal thing. He's in that cell. And now Houdini, who was used to always getting out, is struggling. He can't get out the cell. He can't get finagle things to get out the cell. He couldn't escape it for some reason. This went on for 30 minutes. Then it went on for an hour. And people started to get, get concerned. Like, oh, Houdini's known for like getting out quick. This dude was smart. And now he's getting frustrated. He knows his reputation's on the line. And so he's like fighting to get out. He's fighting. He's wrestling. He's starting to sweat. Till finally he gave up. He was so angry. He just threw himself against the prison door. And guess what? It swung open. Houdini didn't realize they didn't lock the door. All he had to do was push it open the whole time. Sin will make you think you're trapped in that prison. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can push that door wide open and say, I'm not trapped. I can walk out of this thing. I can walk out and run my race. I can walk out in my calling. I don't have to stay trapped here. I can stay out of here. I don't care if I need accountability and counsel or whatever, but I'm not going back into that prison cell. You can get through through the gospel. So we learned, you learn from the faithful. You lighten your stride. Remove everything that hinders. We went through the grid. These are just a few things that may help you identify. Wave at me if you identified some things in your life that you're like, you know what, I could probably just do without that. And then the sin that so easily entangles, we unpack. But lastly, if I can just encourage you with this, look to Jesus. Look to, I wish, you know, sometimes I wish it was like I was about to open the Bible and give you some real deep, like, go real deep, like sink. Like here's the third and final step. Nobody's ever had this revealed to them. That's when you know heresy is about to come soon after that statement. Good, some quality heresy is about to come. If you're the only person in the history of Christianity that got the revelation, you just started a cult. And so... He makes it very clear in Hebrews 12 too, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He starts, to, he starts to speak on his attributes, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before. Then he's almost like, you know, I, I, I always wonder sometimes if the gospel writer's gone like a quick writing praise break. You ever wondered that, uh, Brandon, when you're looking at it, like, yo, he definitely's going on a praise break right now. Like, he, he's going on like a, ooh, Jesus, you flowing, Papa. He's like the pioneer and perfecter. Ah, ah. He probably had a ah to it too for the joy set before him. Ah. He probably slapped his thigh when he said it. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He just goes in. He's like, oh, if I had the Rick Ross, ooh. you know, I'll, I'll just go up there. He just bars. Ah. He sat, he goes, he starts boasting on the nature of Jesus. Because it's not look to Jesus, the Jesus I concocted in my mind. Look to the Jesus of scripture. Look to the Jesus, the perfecter. You know, I remember I was, I was going through, I, I guess I battle anxiety to some degree at different points in my journey. Especially when I got to make major decisions. Is anybody else like that? That, that? that hasn't left me. That's still one of those things. My wife helps me navigate that. And so she, I'll get anxious about like a major decision. I'm the dude that don't, I don't like big purchases. I don't like nothing like that. I'm that dude. Some of you are opposite and you're in debt. I, and so 
I don't, I don't like any of that stuff. <laughs> don't worry, my wife's the opposite of me. Uh, <laughs> I don't like any of that stuff. And so there's times where I get anxious, and, and I think it comes out in my worship. And one day I was worshiping at the, at the, at the front and, and at, at, the, at the altar, I would call it that. It's just the front where the worship team was. And I, I must have looked anxious. I was like rocking back and forth. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know. And, and I remember anxiety just getting a hold, on, hold of me. There's this father in the faith. His name is Reverend Paul Johansson. He's brilliant, brilliant brother. And he was, he was at the service I was at. And, he, and he, he, he just saw me worshiping. And he saw me trying to call to Jesus. But maybe I was a little angst. And he taps me on my shoulder. I don't know if the Holy Spirit just gave him an inclination to do so and he comes by and he whispers in my ear he said Lionel I just want you to remember something I said what he said you become what you behold and for some reason that hit me different you become what you behold if you keep beholding Jesus you'll become more like Jesus what you keep before you you'll become He goes on to boast on he, he's the author of our faith. Before the foundations of the earth, he thought of you. He thought of me. He authored it. Before the foundations of the earth, he had you in mind. You're not a last-minute decision in the kingdom. You weren't like, oh, man, I left somebody out. Let me write you in. So he's the author. He lived the perfect life. He's without blemish. So that you and I can be authored and grafted into the kingdom of God. And then it says he's the perfecter. And so many of us don't struggle with the author part. Like, well, he's in control. He's the author. But there's something different about him being the perfecter of our faith. I like, I liken, I do a lot of work with athletes. So I liken it to the field. Many of us see God as simply the referee, but don't see him as the coach. You only see him as like flag on the play, you messed up. Or ah, you got to get that right. No, 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 come back. Back to the 50-yard line. No, he's also your coach. He's also your biggest cheerleader. He's your biggest supporter. He's coming alongside of you. He's the medical staff in the corner. And he's also the, the, the head instructor of your life. I need you to know he's the perfecter. He's not just going to watch you go. We don't deserve that's deism. When you get a God that starts it and keeps it going. We're theistic. He starts it, keeps it going. He steps into our reality and he perfects us along the way. And so you're, you got to see that that's what it means when God is for you and not against you. That God is on your side. Why? He's the perfecter. He's enveloping you. He's all of the above. He is the ref. He is the commissioner. But he's also the coach. He's also the chair leader he's also the medical support he's also the person you need to go to when you need a quick break because you got an injury listen he is God and he is all of the above and so when we look to Jesus we embrace the totality of his authority and his personhood so that's what it means to look to Jesus to say God I embrace all that I need to know about you to apply it to walk out this walk to, to look to you to learn what would Jesus do. I know it's a cliche, but really what would Jesus do? And, and, and to get a hold of you and to learn your heart. 
There, there is no magic shortcuts in the kingdom of God. This only comes through prayer. This only comes through study of the word. This only comes through healthy community. This only comes through communion and the breaking of bread, being with the fellowship of the saints. This only comes through that. And so when we look to Jesus, that means I'm doing Jesus-like things. In order to grow and to mature and to keep things going, even when, again, Sometimes when I want to give up. He's the perfecter. The work he started in you, he's going to bring to completion. He doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't kind of get it going and then falls back like, I don't like this no more, I'm out. Although that's how I would do it sometimes with my own life. There's stuff that I'm like, oh. By the way, sidebar. I thank God he doesn't show you everything wrong with you at one shot. I love the fact that sanctification is progressive over time. When you start to be like, oh, yeah, I do wrestle with that. Stuff that you thought you beat a long time ago starts rearing his head. I know that's not you guys. That's Epiphany in Philly. But I know you guys, though, you guys got it together. But the reality is we all got that. And he's perfecting it little by little. As we submit to him, as we behold him, as we take time to worship him, as we take time to pray. It doesn't happen overnight, family. It doesn't. I promise you it doesn't. But it does happen. And maturity comes. And if you're like, yo, I am mad mature, you're probably not that mature. Because very often maturity doesn't draw attention to itself. It just simply wants to behold him. Get a hold of him. I'll close with this illustration and I'm going to open it up for Q&A. When it comes to looking at Jesus, I think of the Olympic Games. It's the, one of the pictures of the former U.S. Olympic teams. I don't, I'm not, by the way, I'm an inner city kid. Like, I just found out these were called boats not too long ago. And <laughs> no, nah, I grew up in a concrete jungle. And so I'm an inner city kid. I, and so I didn't know much about this sport. But what fascinated me about the sport is that there's something when they're rowing those boats, you see a gentleman that sits in the front. The name of that gentleman's called the coxswain. That's their name. They sit in the boat. And what's the role of the coxswain? It's very interesting because the gentlemen in the boat seem to be doing all the work. But what's interesting when they're rowing the boat, the finish line is behind them. None of them can see the finish line. Guess who's the only person in the boat that sees the finish line? The coxswain. And so, but you notice the finish line is not what they're looking at. Nobody's like this. They keep their eyes on the coxswain. Why? One of the functions of the coxswain is to simply keep them in continuity by the cadence of their rowing. So he'll say, row, row, left, left, right, right, row, row. So they'll listen to the voice of the coxswain when he's speaking. They, they, they don't just listen. They listen to the cadence. They flow with him. They obey according to the coxswain. 
coxswain. Why? Because the coxswain has the finish line in mind. He can see it. Why? And so now they know that I'm not worried about that. If I keep my eyes on the coxswain, I'll get to the finish line. There's a Jesus in your boat right now. Many of us are so caught up on how I'm going to get there. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. You don't know when the finish line is. I don't know when I'm going to check out of here, but I know there's a God that I serve and I'm going to just keep my eye on him while I'm in the boat of life. When I'm in that time of life where I don't know where else to go in life, I'm going to just keep my eyes on the coxswain of my boat. Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. If I just listen to him, if I can get a hold of him, I'll finish the race that God called for me. Keep your eye on the coxswain. I know that was Sunday morning-ish on a Wednesday night-ish, but keep your eyes on him. He's the author. He's the finisher. He has you in mind. He has not forgotten you. He says, while we were yet sinners and broken, he was mindful of us. Still saw fit to go to the cross for you and for me. Not because of anything good in us, but because of the redemptive nature of him. So he went to the cross for your sin, for my sin. And the only thing we can do is not run a better race. We can do that, but here's the right motive. The right motive is we simply want to please Jesus. Why? Because he's done it for us. That's what this walk is about. So we run a good race.